Romans 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let him not, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this challenging passage of Scripture, Lord. Lord, as always, we want your word to examine our hearts, to, to penetrate our hearts and minds. Your word is alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Uh, Lord, we want that work to occur in our hearts to bring to light attitudes in us that are not right toward others. Lord, um, you're very concerned about church life, our involvement, how we treat one another. Much of your word is, is spent on this subject, so we were wise to, uh, to take heed and, and pay attention and make the changes that are need, needed in our hearts so that when we do stand before you on that day of Christ, there's no surprises. You've already dealt with changes you want made, and we could just hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And that's what I want for myself. I want that for everybody in this church, everybody I know. But we know, Lord, it takes yielding to the Holy Spirit, letting the, the light of Christ shine in us and being willing to lay down our faults, our sins at the feet of the Lord of the universe. So help us to do that. Help us to yield our hearts and minds and, and to receive the, even the conviction that we need. Uh, I'm already feeling it. 
And so, Lord, we just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so, um, wow, the word of God is powerful, isn't it? And, and the Lord may start to point things out in your heart that, well, you know, you should, you got this wrong attitude toward this person. You really could have handled this better. And so, um, yeah, Romans 14.1, receive one who's weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. So let's talk about the context of, of this verse, right? We always want to think about where this fits in, in, in this book of Romans, uh, what Paul is talking about, uh, this subject of how we interact with one another in the church. And, of course, the first um, eight chapters of Romans is really talking about doctrine, uh, very important truths for every Christian to know how to walk with God by faith, right? It's not just a about receiving Jesus into your heart for the forgiveness of sins, and then you go off and kind of live your life how you want. There's uh, what we call discipleship, right? Learning to follow Jesus. When Jesus, he would call people to follow him. Like this is this is a full-time commitment to this this person who is the Lord of all, as, as we just read. And so Romans 1 through 8, teaches us that, how to overcome our sinful flesh, how to learn to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit like Jesus did, right? He's always our example. He was led by the Spirit, not by even his, even as a perfect man, he wasn't even going to be led by his own thoughts and plans. He said, I only do those things I see the Father do. Well, you know, we're different than Jesus in that we're not perfect, right? He's the eternal son of God. He was able to just come to earth and, and begin to live like he'd always lived in eternity past in submission to the Father. We have to be born again into God's kingdom, and then the Holy Spirit starts to conform us to the image of Christ. And, and, and to be in the image of Christ means you're walking like Christ walked in submission to the Holy Spirit, in submission to the Father's will, course our problem is we have sin that has to be dealt with christ didn't have that so how do we deal with that the sin that is still very prevalent in our lives right that we have the flesh has to be dealt with every day romans 1 through 8 teaches us that how to crucify the flesh by faith to believe i died with christ i rose with christ he's already done the work through the cross so Romans 1 through 8, if you're not very familiar with those chapters, I want to challenge you to, to become familiar with those chapters, to, to start to, to read and pray over those chapters. Because if you don't understand who you are in Christ, what Christ did for you in terms of making available to you the power of the Spirit, you're going to be defeated and frustrated in your Christian life. So Romans 1 through 8, that's that's doctrine. And then Romans 9 through 11 is what we call dispensation, doctrine, dispensation, duty. We like them to all start with D. It helps us to remember and kind of, you know, little memory hooks. Dispensation meaning Paul's talking about, okay, we as Christians now have favor with God through Christ. 
we have this place of rejoicing with God and great favor with God through Christ. What about the Jews? I thought they were God's favored people. So that's what Romans 9 through 11 talks about. Then Romans 12 through 16 talks about duty. Okay, now that you understand your place in God's kingdom, you're walking with God in the power of the Spirit, how should your life look? And, you know, it's interesting that much of this section talking about duty is talking about church life. And, you know, it's just been interesting the last few weeks, I have talked to several people about either their own struggle with attending church or people very close to them who they are Christians, but they're not attending church because they've been hurt, they've been whatever reason, they're church hopping, and they've kind of done this their whole life. And that's a big deal. That's a concern when you meet someone like that. And, and so we want to be praying for people who, you know, Christians who aren't attending church because, again, much of the, the duty that we're called to in the New Testament as Christians, the duty we're called to is, is involved in church relationships, church life. So we need to learn how to get along with one another. We, we need to learn how to connect with one another. And uh, somebody, I think my daughter was telling me, somebody, somebody was telling me over the last couple of days about an article they'd read and how in our culture we were becoming more and more isolated. You know, people used to kind of, uh, you know, neighbors hang out on the porch and talk to one another, and now everybody's in, you know, watching TV on their computers. And we, and kind of with, the, I guess, the technology, we're becoming more and more isolated. And I've, I've literally seen that, like, in over my lifespan where, um, like, the neighborhood I live in, the, the, it just seems like people are kind of in their houses and, and don't like to talk to one another, and it, it just seems to be getting worse. But the church shouldn't be like that. See, that's where we've got to understand, no, God wants us connecting with one another. God wants us involved with one another, and he wants us to work through the inevitable problems we're going to have as we get closer to one another, right? If you're, if you're always at a distance and you don't have a relationship with somebody, there's no problem, right? You're just isolated, and there's a whole set of problems related to that. But when you start to get to know somebody and you start to realize, oh, that person kind of rubbed me the wrong way or I disagree with them and the way they view Christianity, and so how am I going to react to that person? Am I going to, like, start lecturing them uh, or I'm going to have an attitude toward them? Oh, they just don't, you know, they don't understand the faith like I do. And, and, and then you have a bad attitude toward that person. doesn't necessarily mean you're saying anything, but do you think they can pick up on the vibe of your bad attitude that you're judgmental toward them? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. And... So, again, this, is, this whole chapter here of Romans 14 is, is talking about church life. Now, uh, chapter 13 uh, was talking also about church life, and that's kind of leading up into this section. So let's go ahead and, and go back and read in chapter 13. Let's see. Let's start in verse 8. 
of chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, or love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing that the time that now it is high time to wake out of our sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And then it goes on now to talk about receiving one another who is weak in the faith. But again, notice here in chapter 13, this call to love one another and to understand that it's high time to wake out of our sleep because salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So it's interesting how Paul, he will call the people and I believe, again, this is obviously directed at the church and church life. Hey, you got to love one another in the church. And think about loving one another in the light of eternity. I think that's what Paul often tries to remind people of, that, hey, we're here just a short time. Uh, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Uh, our salvation is near. In other words, you're about to enter into eternity. So you need to focus in the time that you have left on loving one another, quit fussing with one another, quit arguing, but just begin to love and serve one another. And then Paul does that same thing in this next section where, as we read, he kind of is leading us up to this place about the judgment seat of Christ. He's saying, now think about how you're judging other people in the church and having a bad attitude toward them, but think about you're judging them, but you're going to be the one standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and so don't, don't be so focused on the faults of others. You need to concentrate on yourself more because you're going to bow your knee and stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So we see, you know, in both chapter 13 and 14, Paul reminding us, of eternity, and it's always good as Christians to live in the light of eternity, isn't it? So verse 1 of chapter 14, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things, for one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So Paul's saying, you know, receive a weaker believer. In other words, get along with one another. Don't focus on your differences. Now, he's talking about food here. And, you know, Bible scholars think it, it could be a couple different um, situations he's talking about in the Roman church here. It could be uh, you have, of course, Jews and Gentiles in the church at that time. And the Jews, you know, coming out of Judaism, uh, still struggling with the Old Testament laws about kosher food. And, and even though 
we know in the New Testament, it, it proclaims, uh, you know, like for instance to Peter, when remember all the animals came down and, and the Lord said, arise Peter, kill and eat. So in, in other places in scripture where it makes it clear, as Christians, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're not under those kosher uh, laws anymore. Uh, God's made everything clean. You, you, you can eat anything. But some people who are weak in their faith coming out of Judaism, they're still kind of struggling with that. And in their conscience, they think, man, I just, I just can't eat that piece of bacon. You know, it just um, it bothers me. I still, I still feel like that's displeasing to God. We who are stronger in the faith would say, well, eating a piece of bacon isn't going to affect your relationship with God. I mean, it's all about the cross, right? I mean, I'm, I have favor with God. I you know, can eat a pound of bacon. It's not going to, it might affect me physically, but it's not going to affect my relationship with God. God's not going to be displeased with me like, I can't believe it. I told you not to eat pork and look at you. No, we, so we're stronger in the faith. We understand that this person, maybe he's, he's a new Jewish Christian and he's got to make this transition. He's not going to change overnight. And in, in his conscience, he's thinking, well, I've lived my whole life not eating this. And all of a sudden you want me to, you know, eat this, uh, this pork. I, I can't do it. He's saying, it's not your job to try to straighten that person out and sit him down and lecture him and say, dude, eat the bacon. It's no big deal. No, you need to pray for him, but you need to receive him. Hey, brother, it's so good to have you in the, in the church. And, um, you know, we're, we're not even going to talk about these doubtful things. You know, that, that's what Paul's talking now about. Things that are doubtful in the sense they're, they're issues that aren't, aren't really moral issues, that they're kind of a, they can be kind of a gray area in people's minds. And this, this gets kind of tricky because Paul, in this chapter, is talking about not judging one another, but he's not talking about blatant sin that is forbidden in Scripture. Like, for instance, in Corinthians, he told them, you guys are being too easy on this guy who in their church was committing uh, immorality. And Paul said, you guys need to deal with that. You know, the, really speaking to the leadership, you, you need to talk to this guy, call him to repentance. And if he's unwilling, you need to put him out of the church. And, that, and that's what happened in Corinthians. And then the guy did repent and, and, and came back. But there's a, Paul is not talking about more moral types of uh, sins here of, uh, you know, sexual immorality or this person's a, a drunkard or something like that. He's talking about these, what he calls doubtful things or that things that seem to be a gray area in, in people's minds that the Bible doesn't necessarily forbid. Now, so he's talking about, in this case, food. So it could be the kosher food thing, or it could be, uh, again, in the book of Corinthians where they had a struggle about people eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And some Christians felt like, how can you eat that meat? You know, because that was sacrificed to this false god. And and back in that day in in, in Corinth, they the unbelievers would um, sacrifice these animals, and then uh, a lot of that meat would end up in the meat market. And sometimes you weren't sure if if this was sacrificed to a god or a false god, or you know where that meat came from. So there was this dispute in the church about that. So it could be 
that uh, Paul is talking about that here as well. Uh, so he's saying one thinks he could only eat vegetables, like, oh, it's, it's wrong to eat uh, meat. Um, of course, we have that in our culture now, some that would be kind of ex extreme uh, animal rights types. You know, it's murder to kill a cow, you know, and that's wrong. And, uh, and again, maybe somebody like that would come in, into the church. And in his conscience, he, he hasn't grown enough and, and learned enough about the word of God to understand, no, that, you know, God made animals for us to eat. And there's example, many examples in the scripture where God's, you know, perfectly fine with that. But I think Paul, again, is trying to emphasize, don't argue about these things. Don't judge one another about these things. Uh, and it, what's interesting, you notice that it's the more strict person that call, Paul is calling the weak person. And often we would think the opposite, like, oh, this person's so disciplined, they, you know, they, they won't eat meat, they won't work on the Sabbath, they, they have all these religious restrictions, and you think, man, that guy's so holy and pure. And Paul's saying, no, actually, that guy's weaker because he's observing all of these things thinking that God demands that of him and he doesn't understand the freedom that we have in Christ that we you know we don't need to observe days we don't need to be careful about the kind of foods we eat in terms of our relationship with God we are forgiven and we're walking with God in his favor through what Christ did on the cross so that's what Paul's talking about when he says this person who is weak only eats vegetables but then verse 3 he really gets to the point he says let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. So Paul's saying, look, I'm assuming in this church you all love the Lord and you're all dedicated to the Lord, and that's, that's how you have to assume others that their hearts are in that place as well. So don't let this be a point of friction between you. Don't be have an attitude toward one another. The person uh, who, who, who does not eat might think, you know, I can't believe, you know, you guys are eating that meat. That's, that's, that's so wrong. And, you know, God is uh, displeased with you and, and they're just, you know, judging. Uh, or the person who does not eat is despising that person uh, or the person who does eat is despising the person who doesn't eat. And again, there's that attitude uh, that existed there. Paul was saying, you guys need to deal with that. And so verse 4, he says, who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to, st made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. So you're taking too much upon yourself trying to judge this person. They have to answer to God, why why do you feel the need to be so hard on this person and judgmental? And so, I think that's an attitude that we can easily take on, where we feel the need to try to change that person, to try to judge them. And isn't it better just to to pray for that person? And again, we're not talking about you know, blatant moral sins here where you need to talk to the person about that, that obvious sin in their life. And again, especially if it's, it's leadership, 
But there's so many things in, in life where we, we might just be irritated with that person. We see they need to change. And rather than us being you know, judgmental and harsh toward them, it's better to just be prayerful and c- commit them to the Lord. And then verse 5, he says, One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. So now he, move, he moves from the subject of food, where there could be controversy in the church in that time, to now how people observe certain religious holidays. And so one person might think, oh, it's really important to observe the Sabbath or this Jewish feast day. And others are saying, no, all of those things were just pointing to Christ. Now that Christ has come and fulfilled the law, these days don't need to be observed anymore. You know, every day is the Sabbath. I've entered into the, the rest of Christ. So... This was also a contention in the church where you had Jews and Gentiles. And again, the Jews coming out of Judaism, still struggling with some of those things, thinking they, they, they needed to observe these feasts and whatnot that were in the Old Testament. And, and Paul's saying, don't let that be a point of contention. If you are more mature and you understand that these things were fulfilled in Christ you just need to be loving toward that person who doesn't understand that yet. You don't need to try to change them. So verse 6, Paul really gets into, the, I think, the nitty-gritty of this whole issue. He says, He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats to the, he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks, and he who does not eat to the Lord... He does not eat and gives thanks. So what Paul's saying there, you're judging the motives of this person, and and you're misunderstanding this person's heart. You're all worried about them observing the Sabbath, and you feel the need to try to change them, but you have to understand that in that person's conscience, they're observing the Sabbath because they believe it's, it's an honor to the Lord. So I believe this is in the context of where the people in the in the Roman church understood the basics about the gospel and they and even those who were observing the sabbaths or or not eating uh meat say not eating pork those people did understand the basics of the gospel that it was through through faith in Christ alone, that they had a relationship and, and they were justified by faith and they're walking with God by faith and that they, you know, they were Christ-centered. Because you have, like, for instance, in the church of Galatia, where Paul said, hey, you all, I'm concerned about you because you observe days and weeks and months and years and yet, in Galatia, we know they had walked away from the gospel. He says, you've, you've left the true gospel, and you're embracing this false gospel of um, justification through works. So they, Galatia had a different problem where they were actually walking away from the core truths of the gospel. That's not what we're seeing here in Romans. You, these are people who really love the Lord. They understand the gospel, but they have these areas of their life where they feel like they are honoring the Lord through not eating meat. They, they feel like they're honoring the Lord 
through strictly observing the Sabbath. And Paul is saying, that's okay. If that's where they're at, you as a believer who's more mature, you don't need to make that an issue. And because it's going to affect your relationship. And that's what Paul's trying to get here. I want you guys to get along with one another, not have judgmental attitudes toward one another in these things that are not, you know, core moral issues. And so Paul is, again, he's assuming these people are doing these things as unto the Lord. Uh, they're, they're not eating meat because they feel like it would be pleasing to the Lord for them to sacrifice that in their life, or they're observing the Sabbath because they feel like it would be honoring to the Lord for them to live in that sacrificial type of way. Then verse 7, for none of us lives to himself and, and no one dies to himself. So you see really uh, in these verses a call, the depth of commitment that we're all called to as Christians. Our Christian life should not be casual. Oh, we just, you know, we come to church and once in a while and we, we read the Bible here and there. You, you see in this section of Scripture, Paul really showing what that church was like, that people were very devoted to the Lord, living every, you know, all of their lives as a sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 7, for none of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. Verse 8, for if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are are the Lord. So that's a little hard to understand there, but I believe, again, if you look at the context, I think Paul is talking about a person who dies to himself is he's giving certain things up because he feels like that's uh, in honor to the Lord. So if we are a more mature Christian and we say, well, I don't need to observe the Sabbath because I'm, I'm walking in the Lord's Sabbath rest every day. I can go out and mow my lawn on Sunday. I don't feel guilty about that at all. You know, and maybe your neighbor does. He sees you out there mowing the lawn and he's a Christian. He's like, what is he doing? That's a sin. You know, and some people do feel like that. Well, I don't need to get in an argument with him over that. It's like, well, you know what? He thinks that's a sin, but you know, that's just his heart. He's, he's just resting today. Uh, because he's doing this as an offering to the Lord, and I'm mowing my lawn and fellowshipping with the Lord, and I love the Lord. We both love the Lord, so let's not argue about this. You know, let's not uh, major on on the minors. But again, Paul's assumption is, and he wants us to assume this about one another, that, uh, you know, I'm assuming you really love the Lord, and you're really wanting to serve him, and I'm not going to put myself above you and say, well, I love the Lord more than you do, obviously, because, you know, I observe the Sabbath. I mean, I'm just assuming that you just don't love the Lord. And Paul's saying, don't think that about one another. Just assume he loves the Lord just as much as you do. He's just expressing his love to God in in, in a different way. So get rid of this this, um, despising of one another, judging one another. And so, again, these things, you know, can creep up in our hearts we don't have these issues in the church of, you know, meat eating and, 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 uh, observing days, but there are other things in our lives as believers that come up that, uh, can cause us to judge one another and, and be irritated with one another. I think God just wants to purify those things out of our hearts. He wants us to, to get along with one another. So then um, verse 9 says, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead 
and the living. So again, this is a little tough to understand this verse, but I think in the context, when he's talking about the dead and the living, he's not talking about people who physically died versus people who are living. He's talking about, again, the dead being those who are giving up, living in a sacrificial way versus those who are, you know, seem free in the Lord and they're living in this liberty. Uh, He says he's Lord of both of them. And that's the point. Christ is Lord, and that's where we all should be focused. So he's saying, why do you judge your brother, verse 10? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, there's a real freedom that you begin to have in your life as a believer where you don't feel the need to try to change other people. Well, especially in a marriage. Ooh, see, when you feel as a spouse that's your job to try to change your spouse, you're not going to have a real happy marriage. You know, if you can just, you know, you obviously you see the close-up flaws of this person, but if you can still love them and, and, and pray for them, of course you're going to talk about, you know, issues that you have or, or faults or between one another. Uh, but it's, it's kind of the, your attitude toward them and, and how you approach them in that conversation. You know, is it with a judgmental kind of spirit or is it with love and grace and I'm praying for you? And by the way, you don't have to talk about every flaw your, your spouse ha- has, right? You, a lot of things you could just say, Lord, just, just help them with that. I can, I can see they're, they're struggling. And because, uh, I mean, do you, do you want to be married to the law or do you want to be married to grace? Grace, right? We all want that. Yeah, so don't be the law to your spouse. Don't be the law. Be grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. But it's the same way in the church, you know, getting along with one another. Um, Paul's saying it's not your job to try to to, ha- to change that person, and, and you've got this attitude toward them because you're irritated with this flaw they have. Paul's saying that's not your job. And by the way, you better be more concerned with yourself because you got enough problems in yourself to deal with rather than focusing on this other person, being irritated with them. And by the way, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ and be judged. And do you think the Lord, when I stand before him, he's going to say, Rick, I really wish you would have judged people more. I really wish there were so many people that needed changing, and I was really counting on you to change them. No. He's going to say, I'm paraphrasing because I don't know exactly what he's going to say, but, uh, you know, he's, he's going to say, uh, well, for me, he's going to just say, well done. Just go on in. You know, okay, next. No. See, that's kind of a scary thing, isn't it? It's supposed to be. Not scary in that, oh, I'm going to judge you. Should you go to heaven or hell? That's not what this is. It's called the Bema Seed. It's more like in the Olympics where you'd, you'd come up to get your reward uh, for being first, second, or third. And you, 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 so it's more of a reward kind of thing. But, but I also believe it's a let's, let's kind of talk about what your life was like after you accepted Christ. You're, you're, you're in heaven. There's no question about that. You're going in. It's going to be awesome. But how did you, how did I live my life as a Christian? And was I listening to the Lord about 
the direction he had for my life and obeying him and following, following Jesus. Right. You know, uh, Kelly and I were talking about last night, she got a performance review at work and we were talking about that. And I was telling her a little bit about, you know, performance reviews I've, I've had and, and nobody likes those, right? Nobody likes to have a performance review, but that's kind of what the judgment seat of Christ is. It's like a performance review. But I, what I told her, I've always learned in the corporate world that your boss will tell you, there should be no surprises in the performance review. Like you do this twice a year, right? And we do it at our company. And uh, you shouldn't sit down with a boss and he says, man, I am so disappointed with you. You've been messing up. And you're like, what? This is the first I've heard of this. You know, I thought I was doing pretty good. You know, obviously the boss should be telling you he's there every day. You know, hey, I'm, I think you're struggling with this. You need to do better at this or let's go in this direction. You're like, okay, man, yeah. So then when you get in your performance review, um, it's like, well, you know, not a lot to talk about. We already, it really shouldn't be because we've already talked about it throughout the year. And well, you know, we've, we've written the goals down and um, let's just kind of walk through them and, you know, put, formalize the comments. That's kind of what we do in our, you know, just put it in writing. And do we all agree on, yeah, we agree on uh, what we've been talking about all, all year. And I met these goals and this is how I met these goals. So my point is, I think it's the same principle with the judgment seat of Christ, there really shouldn't be any surprises. If you're walking in the spirit and listening to the voice of the Lord and the Lord, he's hope he's telling us to change things now, right? So that when you stand before him, it, it can be like the Lord says, Oh yeah, we've already talked about everything. Enter in. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Bam. You're like, that's wow. But shouldn't we, be living our whole life with that in mind, that that day, because when you stand before the Lord on that day, you're going to be like, oh boy, I wish I had spent more time preparing for this day. I mean, at that point, you're going to, like, nothing else is going to matter. Like, and, but why not live with that mentality now, realizing, ooh, I'm going to stand before the Lord, which, by the way, it could be five minutes from now, right? A meteor could hit the church here, and we're like, oh, hey, Lord, we're standing before the Lord. I thought it was going to be like in 20 years. No, no, not 20 years. It's now. So we're going to, you know, if our hearts are repentant, and, and, and of course, I really believe that's what the Lord's looking for, not so much performance. It's how was your heart toward me? Did you, you know, were you... Uh, as you saw sin in your life, oh, Lord, forgive me. Help me to change, Lord. I lay this at your feet because you're the Lord of the dead and the living. Lord, I lay every issue. Isn't that good that that verse precedes the judgment seat of Christ? He's saying, I'm, I'm Lord of everything. Just put everything at my feet that you're struggling with. I think that's what the Lord wants. You think about it. He's Lord. He, he means he's in control of everything. But with us, we have to willingly surrender issue by issue and say, Lord, I, I give this to you. I give this burden to you. We were talking about that. I was talking about my daughter last night, you know, where kind of light went on with her. Like, wait a minute, Jesus wants these burdens. I mean, I, she, it was really a good conversation. She was, she was, Samantha was saying, you know, I would never give my burden to another person. They wouldn't want it. Right. <laughs> But the Lord is saying, no, I want your burden. Cast your cares upon me. Cast your burdens on me. 
why in the world would you not do that if he's saying, I want, and I was saying, yeah, well, Sam, he's, he took it on the cross. He took all our sin, all our junk. It was all cast on him on the cross. He's already taken it. And he's saying, no, just, you know, come unto me, cast on me. So when we see bad attitudes in our, in our lives, this is what I try to do more and more. I say, oh, I, I shouldn't have talked about that person the way I just talked about him. Uh, I shouldn't have thought about that person the way I just, you know, Lord, I just give that to you right now. Or maybe you're, you know, someone's kind of gossiping something to you and you, you feel kind of the temptation to enter into that. You, you just say, Lord, I take the problems of that person and I lay it at your feet and I take my attitude toward that person and I lay it at your feet because you're the Lord of both the, the living and the dead. You're the, you're the Lord of all and I give that to you. I think that's what the Lord's really looking for, for us to surrender every attitudes, thoughts, sins we're struggling with, cast it on him, lay it at his feet, and then, you know, you come before the judgment seat of Christ, and you're like, well, I've kind of lived my whole life at your feet here, Lord, bowing at your feet. This is nothing new. In fact, I look forward to this. You know what I'm saying? It's not like anything new. He says, every knee will bow, verse 11. Um, well, let's read verse 10, 10 again. But why do you judge your brother, or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So you're, if you're living your life like that, I'm just bowing my knee every day to the Lord of the universe. I'm giving every issue to him. I'm giving this day to him. I'm giving this person that I'm struggling with to him. That's what he wants, right? Now, those... Some are going to be forced to bow their knee, right? Those who aren't, haven't surrendered to Christ and they're going to see him and they're just going to fall before him and like, oh, you died for me and I, I didn't even accept it. Uh, but for us who know him and we know his grace, his mercy, why wouldn't we, we bow to him? So verse 12, so then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. So... So that kind of implies, you know, even more than just rewards. It's kind of like, okay, how did you tell me how Jesus is saying, how did you live for me? Well, Lord, I, I tried to surrender everything to you because I, I recognized you are the Lord of all, Lord, and I don't know what else I can say beyond that. He's like, good. That's what I was looking for. Give an account of yourself to him. Verse 13, therefore... With that in mind, let us not judge one another anymore. Don't try to change each other. Don't be harsh on one another. Love one another. Serve one another. And then this the second half of verse 13 goes into the next section that we'll cover uh, next time. But he says, rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So he's saying in this next section, Look, if it's making your brother stumble because you're eating meat sacrificed to idols in front of him, then don't do it. And you're like, well, wait a minute, why should I not eat this steak? Because you have a problem with it. That's your problem. I'm eating my steak. I, you know, and I know it doesn't matter if it was sacrificed. Paul said, that's the wrong attitude. You got the wrong attitude. You need to consider your brother and and 
try to see things from his perspective again because you're he's your brother he loves the lord just as much as you do he's still weaker in the faith he thinks that meat is going to somehow affect his relationship with god and it, and it really stumbles him uh you know and i don't know maybe an example would be you might feel it's okay to drink a beer uh, i i don't drink i you know kind of as a pastor they ask us to take a an oath of not drinking well, I didn't drink anyway before I was a pastor. I, I, I think it, it can cause people to stumble. That's why I don't. But you know what? If you think it's okay to drink a beer, now, I mean, that's kind of between you and the Lord. I don't think that, oh, that's a huge sin. You're going to go to hell. If you get drunk, that's another issue. You're, that's forbidden. But now say you, you went out to lunch with a new believer who's just coming out of alcoholism, and you you order a beer and drink that in front of them, that would be wrong. You're like, well, why should it, you know, I can drink and I'm free in Jesus and I know it's not affecting my walk with the Lord. And so you get the point. That would be wrong to do that because now your brother is going to be tempted probably and, he, and he's not understanding how you're able to drink if you're a believer because he's seen how alcohol has, what destruction that's brought and why would you, why would you drink alcohol? You know, it doesn't make sense. So anyway, that's what this whole next section is uh, is talking about. So we're really, yeah, we do have a responsibility to be very sensitive to others and to, to try to get along with others and to even be careful with uh, the freedoms that we feel we have uh, not to make others stumble with that. So let's close in prayer. Lord, thank you for these passages that bring to light maybe bad attitudes in our heart. And as we're walking in the spirit, Lord, we want to, uh, to see these things dealt with in our heart. And, and Lord, that we would learn more and more to just bow every day at your feet, to live at your feet, surrendering burdens, sins, attitudes, everything to you so that when we stand before you, uh, the judgment seat, that it'll, you know, you'll just kind of smile at us and be like, man, you, you got it. And you live in before me and well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we all want. And Lord, what a beautiful thing. You give us warning about this. It's not a surprise. You've told us what's going to happen. Uh, when we die, we stand before you or when we're raptured, and uh, Lord, we just pray, even now, as we yield our mind to the Spirit, shine light upon uh, attitudes and, and words that we say that are hurtful. And Lord, that your body can become one and loving one another, getting along with one another. And then that's such a powerful witness to the world as they come into our midst and see us uh, loving one another. And again, Lord, we may have these attitudes in our hearts. We don't say anything, but it comes through the way we, we treat others. And uh, so just purge us of these things. Bring them to light. We know we can't change ourselves, but we can lay our hearts at the foot of Jesus and surrender, and he'll take that sin. He'll change us and uh, empower us. So, Lord, as we open up now to a time of, of ministry, Lord, we just... Uh, desire for the gifts of the Spirit to flow powerfully and that we want to be your mouthpiece. We want to be used by you. So we just uh, commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.